0: I greet you in Jesus' name tonight, the name above all names, the matchless wonderful name of Jesus, to whom no one can be compared. He is the crown jewel. Scripture says, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Like, stop for a moment and think about that. If you want to know anything, if you want to know anything at all, about anything at all, pursue Jesus. That's where you're going to find the answer. Open your Bibles again tonight to Philippians chapter 2 as we take step number two of uh, focus on humility. Tonight, I subtitled my sermon, In the Life, Teaching, and Redemption of Jesus. I told you this morning, that's where... We're intended to head, and uh, uh, by God's grace, we will head there. I'm reminded afresh of just the incredible, incredible privilege it is for us to be in the presence of God and to have an opportunity to, uh, to worship Him and to come to Him and allow Him to work in our hearts. And I hope you will do just that. I hope you will do just that, that tonight you will... Bring your guard down, so to speak, or let the curtain down, or whatever phrasing you want to use, and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. One of the things that I had not anticipated, it might just be because I haven't been with you guys for a little time, but one of the things I had not anticipated about doing revival meetings at my own congregation was how desperately I want you to grow in the Lord and to receive what Jesus wants to offer to you. I mean, it's always true. I go and minister and I want people to grow. Well, as you can tell, it's having a bit of an effect on me, but it's... I was not expecting to be hit so strongly with like it's imperative I wish I could do it for all of us but I can't so you must do it you must allow the Holy Spirit to penetrate into your heart you must surrender and be humble before him and let him have his way with you and I hope you will and I know many of you are and do And I really want to do this without making all kinds of gross sounds through the microphone. So excuse me when I do. Let's read the text together. Philippians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1 just like we did this morning. We're going to read the same 11 verses as we did this morning and use them as a springboard. Paul writes this to the Philippian believers. If there is any encouragement in Christ any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, then complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. If I could paraphrase or if I could, if I could break down what I think Paul is trying to say is, if you as individuals have received any of this stuff going on in your own individual life, then complete my joy by doing this all together, as a body together, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father Lord Jesus tonight we I desire we desire for you to truly come into focus it's almost always part of our prayer but tonight I wanted to make the chief aim of our prayer Jesus that you would come into the forefront of our hearts and minds and that we would be led by your grace Father into a place where we are able to respond unfittingly to what you have done for us, Jesus, to what you demonstrate for us, to what your life portrayed, to what your teaching exhorted us to, and most of all what your redemption, your incredible redemption worked for us on our behalf. Truly, truly, if I ever say it, tonight, Jesus, may you increase, may I decrease, may all of us decrease in that, in that, in that aspect, in that capacity so that you might truly be preeminent, not just uh, as the Scripture declares that you are in the world, but that you truly might be, pre- be preeminent in our hearts, God. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for me, for us, for the world. We give you praise and glory. We honor you. We worship you. Oh, we pursue you and we look to you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning again, I kind of gave a backdrop. I gave an overview. I said, here's where we went ahead. And I ended actually with the fact that when we are redeemed believers in Jesus Christ, that's not a reason for us to suddenly say, well, I no longer have a need for humility. It's actually a reason for us to say that if anything, humility has, has increased in my, the necessity in my life. Because if I'm to become like Christ, and this is the aim of our sermon tonight. If I'm to become like Christ, then I must see that a chief principal thing about Jesus is that he was humble. So in the back of our heads the entire time through, if we're supposed to have this exhortation... I need to turn this on. If we're supposed to have this exhortation that the mind we ourselves are supposed to have is the mind of Christ. That we can have this mind inside of ourselves. This this way of of orienting ourselves. This way of of operating in our lives. If we want to get to that place, we want to look to Jesus first of all. And I want to have in the back of our heads tonight as we walk through the the text, that the, the different verses I'm going to bring out. In the back of our heads, I want to keep foremost there the fact that Paul is so clear in these verses for he says right after that, that though Jesus was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God. Something to hang on to. Which means, I want to have in the back of our heads that Jesus was God. That he was the ultimate. John opens his gospel that way in a beautiful way. We're gonna spend a lot of time in John tonight with just different verses because John was so focused on, I think, this very subject. He wants to make sure we know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Everything that was made, that's a bit of my paraphrase now. Everything that was made was made through him. In fact, Scripture is, is clear to say everything was made not just through Jesus, but for Jesus. And in him all things hold together. He's the fullness of God in bodily form, Paul wrote to the Colossians. So this is the Jesus we're holding in the back of our heads as we walk now through and see, was Jesus humble? Did Jesus display any humility? And if so, in what ways? And how did that look? You see, we know the Jesus that walked around and did powerful things, right? He, did, he performed miracles. He even spoke in some rebuking ways to Pharisees and, and leaders of the church. He was not a pushover. So, of course, when we talk about humility, we're not talking about being pushover. Because Jesus wasn't that. But did Jesus display humility? And what does that actually mean? What did it look like? Because if I'm supposed to have that mind, we know where the next, we, we know where the next jump is going to be. But before we get there... Let's pause because I made the statement this morning. If we will truly pursue humility, it is going to be gained by thinking more about Jesus. It's not going to be gained by us thinking, how can I think less of myself? Because that is actually thinking about myself. It's not going to be gained by, well, how can I like remove this? Because I don't have the power to remove it. It's not going to be gained by, I'm just going to berate myself or lower myself or I'm going to be meek and be, or that's not the right word either. I'm going to be a pushover. I'm going to, it's not going to happen that way. It's going to happen when we become enthralled with who Jesus is and the glory of Jesus and the glory of God himself. Because remember I said this morning, I believe scripture teaches that it is our glory to become nothing so that God might be everything. So let's talk about the humility of Jesus, how Jesus was humble. I, I, get, I chose three categories. You could probably do more things or, or look at it in different ways. But I wanna first look at Jesus' life, the life of Jesus. Did Jesus display humility in his life? And if so, in what ways? Now, again, this could be done lots of different ways, so I, there may be other places your mind goes. I thought it might be helpful just to run through a series of verses that I think are going to help depict, and, and, and I waded through lots of verses, and I, I, I struck many of them out, not because I didn't like them, or because they didn't agree, or because, just because we don't have time to read through all of them. Many of I'll choose from the gospel of John, because again, I think John was particularly, uh, making this case, because he begins with that Jesus was God, and then he begins to show us how Jesus was full of humility, in Jesus' life, pay pay special attention to these verses because most of them are going to have a not or a nothing in there. These are words of humility, a not or a nothing. In John five nineteen, Jesus says to his uh, the people around him, He says, "Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing." This is Jesus, who is God. The Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. Just a couple verses later, he says, again, I can do nothing on my own. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I don't know how it works in your brain. I don't know if you think about things like this or try to hold things together in like kind of some kind of logical kind of things. But what does it do to you If you hear Jesus, who is God himself, come down in human flesh, what does it hear when he says, I can do nothing on my own? And you kind of counter that with, do I think that about myself? Is it really what I think that I can do nothing by myself? That I really have no power to do anything? Just a couple more verses later, he says this. I do not receive glory from people. I do not receive glory from people. This is Jesus walking around. This is God in flesh walking around, and he says that. He's not looking for glory from people. He's not, he's not like, he's not pleasing them. He's not living for them to look at him and say, look at that guy. These are words of humility. In the next chapter, he says, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me not, nothing. These are words of humility. My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. All the things Jesus said, we're going to get to his teaching in just a bit, but all the things Jesus said, and he says over and over again, this is not the only place he says it, he says it over and over again, this teaching's not mine. Those are words of reflection, right? Those are words of pointing to the Father and saying, I'm saying these things and you might say, wow, that's brilliant or wow, that's amazing. That teaching is not mine. It comes from the Father, from the one who sent me. These are words of humility. These are behaviors. This is a life of humility. In John 7, 28, I have not come of my own accord. A chapter later, I do nothing on my own authority. Like, are we getting the message yet? Do we have enough evidence yet to say that Jesus lived a humble life? The Son of God, who came in such a humble way, born to a, a, an unmarried woman in some dirty stable somewhere. Almost no one found out about it. He lived a humble life. He lived a life that was constantly reflecting to the Father. Constantly saying, no, no, not, not here. Look here. Look up here. I only do the things my Father does me to do. I, I, I only can do what he sent me to do. I'm not here to do what I want to do. I'm doing what the one who sent me wants me to do. This is not my own teaching, but the one who gave. And when I make judgments, it's not my judgments. I'm giving the judgments of the one who sent me. Later in chapter 8, I do not seek my own glory. Again, in John 14, we could, we could, we could talk all night about these verses. I could bring more and more of them out. And the word that you hear is not mine. But the fathers. Now, lest you think that's only John that talks about it, uh, the, all the other gospels too, too. John really seems to major on it, but all the gospels speak of this. And I want to give you at least one because in the, when Luke wrote his gospel, he said these words. He said, that he recorded these words of Jesus I am among you as the one who serves. lift up your gates, the King of glory is coming. Who is, the, who is this? He's the King of glory. Like all these prophecies and all these words about the glory of the Messiah and the one that God was going to send and all the things he was going to do. And yet when he's here walking around, he continually says things like this. Again, Again, I beg of you to consider, what does it do inside of you when the Son of God came and he looked at the people around him who were his creation, by the way, and they rejected him because the light came in the darkness, but the darkness would not receive it. They rejected him and he looked at them and he said, I am here among you as one who will serve you. Hopefully you will agree with me that without a doubt that Jesus' life was marked with humility. It was marked with a lowering of himself, which is crazy because he was the Son of God. But if we continue, we see that not only was his own life marked by that, but the things he was teaching just gave evidence of that. Just continued that theme. So in other words, it's not just that he came and he said, well, I'm supposed to be humble because I was sent by God for a specific task. The rest of you get a free pass. He said, no, everything I'm saying to you is going to come out of who I am. And I bear the marks of humility. Therefore, you bear the marks of humility. You ought to bear the marks of humility. I'm calling you. I'm inviting you to consider the glorious path of humility, of making your heavenly Father be everything and you be nothing. It Think of Jesus' very first sermon as he sits there, at least as we know it, as he sits there and a crowd is gathered. We call it the Sermon on the Mount and the very first words out of his mouth. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you think Jesus was concerned about humility? Do you think think Jesus saw a centrality to the need for humility for those who want to follow after God? Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's where the kingdom of heaven comes in. That's who gets to gain entrance to the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, in Matthew a couple chapters later record the wonderful verses where Jesus says, if you are weary or burdened, you should come to me, and I will give you rest. But you know what else he says in those verses in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29? He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. That, I don't, I don't, I mean, there's like no other way you can paint that except for a direct invitation that Jesus looks to every one of us and says, hey, I would like to teach you. And when I'm going to teach you, it's going to come out of a gentle and a lowly heart because that's who I am. And that's what I'm going to invite you to. Take my yoke upon you. Surrender, submit to me. Learn from me. And what I am teaching is about humility. It's about humility. You know, when they had a discussion one day about who was the greatest, because they were prone to doing that, Unless we sneer at them or look down at them, you understand how often we do the similar kinds of things in comparing ourselves to those around us and and trying to make sure that we're like, I think I'm doing better than that person at least. When they were having the discussion about who was the greatest, you know what Jesus did, right? What did he do? He brought a child in their midst. And he said, whoever humbles himself like this child. He directly says it, right? Whoever humbles himself like this child, that's the one who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You know, when Luke records the same story about the the disciples having a discussion about who's the greatest, and Jesus bringing a child in the middle of them, when he records it, he adds this line that Jesus said, for he who is least among you all Read that right. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. Are we beginning to get the picture, right? We can prove by lots of verses that when Jesus walked on this earth, the Son of God, he was humble. In fact, I would say he was marked by humility. It's one of the central characteristics because all the other things he did were more befitting of what royalty would do. The humility is the one that ran counter to everything that you and I do to understand about those who are in power. Those who, ha- who are up here, right? Like casting out demons, healing. Those, that, that's what powerful men of God do. Rebuking people who aren't following. That's what powerful men of God do. But I'll tell you one thing in most of our expectations. What powerful men of God don't do is lower themselves and be the one who serves. So the defining characteristic of Jesus' life must be his humility. And I would then follow by saying it is also one of the defining characteristics of his teaching. You too follow after me. If you want to gain your life, you should lose it. If you're willing to hate your father, mother, your brothers and sisters, then you will gain. You will gain so much for coming after me. If you're persecuted, that's a little bit of a paraphernalia. If you're persecuted for my sake, then you're blessed. If you don't revile those who are reviling you, then you're really following after the kingdom. All those things have to do with Humility. Also in Luke, Jesus says this. Again, as they continue to have squabbles about uh, who is the greatest, he says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, we've already read the verses in Philippians, so you already know this. so It's fine that you already know this. But you see that he was just talking about the same path he himself was walking, right? He humbled himself, and because of that, we read in Philippians, therefore God has exalted him to the highest place. And Jesus said and he taught, it will be the same for you and I. You want to exalt yourself, you will get humbled. But if you're willing to humble yourself, then God will do the exalting. In a pivotal scene as Jesus is ending, nearing the end of his life here on earth, his disciples are following after him. The momentum is building. He's in Jerusalem. They had a triumphant entry. They were going to celebrate communion supper together, what we know as communion, but it was, the, uh, it was the Passover supper together for them. And, and there's a sense that something big is about to happen, which is really true, although I don't think they had any idea what that was really going to be. But there's a sense of what's happening there. And in, in that moment, one which we will reenact later this week if you keep coming, but in that moment, Jesus takes off his outer robe, and he goes down on his knees and begins to wash his disciples' feet. You know, he meant what he said about, I am here as one who serves, didn't he? It wasn't just like lip service. It wasn't just like, I'm trying to paint a picture of who I am, but it's not really true. It was really true. He got on his knees, and he washed his disciples' feet. And then he looked at them, and he said, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. You see, he's teaching them, and he's teaching them humility. That would be great in these kind of instances... Because it would reassure us that we can do the same kinds of things, that we hear some kind of really good insight. And we say, got it, good, never to worry about it again. But if you keep following the story, you know what happens is they gather together for their Passover meal, and they're eating together. You know they actually spend more time arguing about who's the greatest. Can you believe it? Oh, of course you can believe it, because that's what we are like, right? We're no different than that. So, Jesus proceeds at that meal where he had just washed his disciples' feet and told them, I've done it for you. I'm your Lord and Master. I've done it for you. You should do it for each other. Then he proceeds to then say out of that grumbling or that mumbling or that trying to dress with each other again, he says, well, that's, you know what the, this before, just before this, I didn't put this on here, but you know that the the people of the world, they take their authority and they lord it over people. But with you would not be, that's not how I want it to be. I'm not picking it up right here, but, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus actually connected those two things together that I just connected for us tonight. I did his life first and his teaching, but he's doing the same thing. He's instructing them on what it's like. If you want to be great, humble yourself. Serve others. And he says, I can show you exhibit A. Even as I, the Son of Man, did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Without a doubt, without a doubt, according to Scripture, Jesus' life was marked by humility and Jesus' teaching was marked by a teaching of humility. But also, I think, without a doubt, the thing that really um, is the thing that, that we have to grasp tonight, I think, Because it moves beyond just up here, is we have to understand that Jesus' act of redemption itself was this this pivotal act of humility, of lowering Himself. Now, before we get there, I want to just I want to step out of that for a bit and talk about something that Jesus taught when He was on Earth. Just a little verse here. It's in Luke chapter six. Jesus was clear. This is the Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount, by the way. But he's clear. He says that no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is known by its fruit. And I say that because we have to understand something before we go on tonight. We have to understand that whatever seed is planted, that's what you're going to get. Right? Whatever seed, whatever the seed or the root of a plant or of anything is, that's what you're going to get. Jesus is illustrating that. He said, you're not going to get a bad tree and get good fruit out of it. And you're not going to get a good tree and get bad fruit out of it. It depends on what the seed or the root of it is. I say that to pull it now out of the agrarian example of trees and of planting things and of seed and, under, and helping us to see what seed is in us as people. We covered that this morning, by the way, Right? We are humble because we are God's creation. He created us. He created us even in our perfection, even in a perfect relationship with him. He created us to be humble before him that he might be everything. But the reality is it didn't stay that way because Adam and Eve chose to rebel. The pride entered into the discussion and they said, we want to be like God ourselves. And that's the seed that every one of us is born from. Now, we don't have time to go into this, but I, just, just for the sake of making sure that you are aware of this, this actually is something that is very directly bumping into a dominant worldview of the people you live with. I want you to know that because it comes down to the question of, is man naturally good or naturally not good? And the world around us, the culture around us, the dominant worldview of many people around you Is going to push heavily in the area that says we, after all, are good people. We're good inside. And I have just told you directly the opposite. That every one of us has had this little seed planted from that we were born with that we've inherited from Adam. Which is to say that we have pride and we are not humble before God and we are not right with God. Okay? That's important for what we're going to talk about. In fact, that's the reason, are you hearing this? That's the reason why there's a need for redemption. If that would not be true, we would not re- need redemption, which is also one of the chief arguments against that dominant worldview. <laughs> there would be no need for redemption. So let's talk about redemption, and let's just go back to our text in Philippians to do so, because I think it's one of the greatest places we can. We're going to see the humility of Jesus. Come to the forefront in a way that is going to make all the difference for you and I. So let's go back to Philippians chapter 2. Have this mind among yourselves. We already read, but I'm going to read it for you again. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Let's stop there for just a moment. Let's fully allow ourselves to have our hearts and our minds, all of us, soak in, be penetrated with the reality that the one who was equal with God. Did not consider that something to be hang on to, or that he was going to grasp or close his fists around, or say, "No, nope, I can't let go of that." But he, what does it say? He emptied himself. I want you to see how many words of humility you're going to see in these couple of verses here. He emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant, and he was born in the likeness of men. Actually, there's at least three of them there. That just off the top of my head that you can see, words of humility. He emptied himself. He became a servant. And if you are a God who is not bound by space or time, in fact, you're outside of space and time, to be born in the likeness of men is a huge how shall I say this a huge downgrade, at best. This is what Jesus did. This is what Jesus did for everyone. But tonight, I want you to think more clearly or more deeply about the fact that this is what Jesus did for you. He saw his equality with God himself as not something worth hanging on to, but that he would empty himself and become a servant and become in a form that looks just like you and I and walk around earth. And that's not enough because it says when he was found in human form, He humbled himself, there's the direct word, and he became obedient, there's another humility word, to the point of death, that's a humility word, even death on a cross. The most shameful form of death that they could find. The most public, long-lasting, excruciatingly painful form of death. In fact, so well known that everyone just understood that cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree cursed by God. It's sort of the ultimate final statement that God has nothing to do with you and will have nothing to do with you. And Jesus, not only being found in her form and desiring to be a servant, he humbled himself even further and became obedient to the point of laying down his life. You know, one of the most crazy phrases in all of scripture, in my opinion, is in the book of Acts where it says when Peter is preaching and he accuses the leaders, he says, you killed the author of life. And I think, how can that be? How can the one who gave life to everything be killed? And yet scripture says that's exactly what happened. And I remind you again, brothers and sisters, friends, people sitting here, I remind you again, he did that for you. the last person that ever should have had to do that. This morning in Sunday school, we talked about the two thieves on the cross, one of them reviling Jesus and saying, "Save yourself and us," And the other one saying, "You don't get it. We deserve what we're getting." This man has done nothing wrong. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Out of that, I stopped reading, but out of that, let me just read the next verse because this is what God does and we have to hold it all together. I don't want to, I don't want to divorce the text from itself. So out of that, God has highly exalted him. I am here tonight to tell you it is the name that I can give you. In fact, Scripture is clear. There is no other name that I can give you by which you must be saved. He exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. There is no other name higher or greater or any other name I can offer to you to give you any hope of anything changing in your life. But I remind you tonight, as you hear this for what is probably lots of times for most of you, but I hope you're hearing it with fresh eyes tonight. I remind you again tonight, as you walk through and you think carefully and deeply and allow the Holy Spirit to penetrate deep inside of you, the truth of the humility of the act of redemption for the Son of God Himself, I remind you of what I began this part with, because Jesus clearly taught this in John 3.3. I tell you, truly, truly, I tell you, Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And what he is talking about there is a change of that seed. Unless you change the seed that's inside, unless the root is taken out and another root comes in, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. Because what was in you brought pride and arrogance and sinfulness and rebellion and disobedience and all kinds of vile things. Do you not know this to be true? I do. Unless that root is taken out and you are born again of water and blood, of Jesus' blood, I would tell you, unless you're born again and a new seed comes inside of you and begins to grow up in you, then you will not be in the kingdom of God. You will not see the kingdom of God. The seed of pride must be taken out. The root of pride must be uprooted so that the seed and root of humility may be planted deep inside of you. That, my friends, is salvation. That is moving from the kingdom of death and darkness into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of Jesus. And that is precisely what you and I must deal with, must respond to. You are here tonight and you have an opportunity Take everything that's just been said so far, and you must respond to it. You actually will respond to it. You have no choice but to respond to it. You have choices in how you respond, but you have no choice but that you will respond to it. I will tell you, we're we're, we're at a hinge point because tomorrow and the next day and the next day, by God's grace, we're going to be wrestling with what it looks like to receive Jesus' words and let humility have its way inside of us. But we can't get there until we become convinced that Jesus, our Savior, chose the path of humility and wants to, through that path of death and subsequent resurrection, having that work in us, wants to move us, wants to change, wants to uproot that seed of pride in us and plant His seed of humility. Unless we agree with that and welcome that and say, that's where I want to go. That's what I want to do. I don't want to lift myself up. I want to, I want to bury myself in Jesus Christ so that His life might shine forth, That I might truly be nothing and God be everything. Unless I'm convinced of that, the next three days aren't going to do us a whole lot of good. If you have never done that, if you have never done that, I beg of you to change that tonight. To lower your defenses tonight. And to look to Jesus and say, like the thief on the cross did, I deserve all that I'm going to get in wrath, but I want that to be uprooted so I can be planted and born again with God's Spirit inside of me. And if you have done that before, it doesn't actually change whether you should respond or not. I don't know if you ever think about it that way or not, but it doesn't actually change if you should respond or not because you now again have an opportunity to give a response fitting to what Jesus has done for you. Jesus, we tonight, because of your word, have become convinced. We have become convinced that you came to this earth in great humility. You lived a life of great humility. You taught us all about humility. But tonight, what is captivating our attention, Jesus, is that when you accomplish what your Father sent you to accomplish, it was the single greatest act of humility known to mankind, that you emptied yourself. You became obedient to the point of death. You allowed your creation, that which you gave breath and life to, to extinguish the life inside of you. And I'm so grateful that God has exalted you, Jesus, and brought you out of that grave and brought new life, and, has, and, and have, have proven, have proven to us that death no longer holds its power, that the grave no longer has its sting, that the power of sin is death, and that that power has been broken by you, Jesus. So tonight, tonight, we want to respond to you however you'd like us to, Jesus. That's really the thing. We'd like to respond to you. I don't normally step out of my prayer like in the middle of a prayer. Usually I say amen, but tonight I'm just going to kind of step out of my prayer. You can keep your eyes closed if you want, or if you want to open them, you can open them too. But I really mean what I say. We're on a hinge point that we must decide what we're going to do with this. And tonight, I'm inviting you to make that decision. And I'm inviting you to respond in a way that, that is fitting of what Jesus has done for you. I would invite you, if, it's, if you're led to do so, I would invite you to walk forward and go on your knees. You know, it takes a little bit of humility to do that, doesn't it? It takes a little bit of humility to walk up in front of other people and say, I recognize my need for a Savior, and I want to give, give my life to Him. But I'm not one of those people that thinks you have to do that. If you want to get up and walk out, if you want to stand, if you want to go to your knees, it's not about the specific response. But I'm telling you, you will respond to Jesus and what he's done for you tonight in one way or another. I beg of you to say tonight, maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time, I'm all in, Jesus. I want every bit of pride rooted out of my life, and I want humility to be the defining characteristic, and I want to learn from you what that looks like. So I'm going to continue just praying for a little bit. When I pray, Caleb, if you don't mind just starting a little bit of music, I'm going to be quiet after a little bit of prayer yet, and I'm going to invite you to respond how you want. If you want to come up front, I'd be glad to pray with you. If somebody else may want to pray with you, if you want to just pray by yourself, I'm just asking you to give a response. Uh, as you think Jesus deserves from you tonight. God, thank you so much for giving us this opportunity and this this moment where in your grace we can make a choice. The reality is we don't always get a choice. We don't always know when we're not going to get a choice again. But tonight we're in this moment. My prayer is, God, that those who are truly, sincerely wanting to hand over their life to you and letting you have your way in them, would respond as your spirit is leading them right now i give you praise father thank you for your holy spirit who works among us father your presence is a sweet sweet thing to us you minister to our hearts in ways that we can't always define You bring correction. You bring uh, notice of error. You also bring encouragement. You bring strength to our bones that are weary. You bring grace and mercy. Thank you. We don't want to leave your presence. your life to us thank you so much for Jesus for sending your son for being willing to do what we could not do for ourselves thus proving to us that we can do nothing thank you That's what I think I'd like to do. Church, thank you for being here tonight. Thank you for desiring to grow in the Lord. Of course, I'd love to see you tomorrow night. I'm going to just, I'd like to spend more time praying up here with you. Those of you that want prayer, if you want prayer, if you want to keep praying. I think I'll just quietly dismiss those of you who are ready to go. If you are, if you don't mind moving out back so. Sort of it can stay in a tone and attitude of reverence and I'd like to just be able to pray tonight with those of you that want prayer if you want some prayer so I pray God's favor and grace upon you may be filled with his peace be led by his spirit may you be led in humility the humility of Christ tomorrow thank you